well, hello. Um, it's Rod Levy, um, partner in Mergers and Acquisitions. And today on the podcast, I've got a very special guest with me. I've got Alan Bullman. Um, Alan is the Executive Director of the Takeovers Panel. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Rod. How are you? I'm very good. Um, very pleased to the, that you've um, joined us for this. You're the first external guest we've ever had wow. on the podcast, <laughs> on, on the Australian M&A podcast at least. So, so it's a big thrill for us and no doubt for our listeners. Um, now, I just thought I'd start off. Um, uh, so you, you're the executive director of the Takeovers panel. Could you just tell us what your job involves? In a nutshell, with our council, Tanya Matei, I run the executive of the panel, which is six of us, and we help the panel members make good, timely decisions. So uh, what I say today, I can't bind any sitting panels. I've got a bit of freedom to sort of say all sorts of Alan Bullman things. Um, So over to you. That's what we want to hear. hear (laughs) Alan Bullman things. That's right. Can I just just kick off with just a general question? It seems to me that the panel has had um, a... Uh, of quite a steady workflow over recent years. How busy do you think the panel's been, say, in the last 12 months? Pretty busy. We have just received our 30th application, and usually we get about 30 a year on average. We're actually trending down from that up until a couple of years ago, and now we've um, gone back up again. So um, the first six months was probably slightly busier. We had about 17 matters which would have suggested we were tracking towards some 34. I'm not sure we'll get to 34. Time will tell. Depends on whether we get any Christmas specials, which we sometimes get. Yes, you do. <laughs> and what, what do you think is driving the number of applications then? I'm not sure it's necessarily the amount of activity, although you'd know better than I that there is a bit of activity going on. I think to some degree it's because a number of shareholders are increasingly making applications to us. So... Um, the first half of this year, out of the 17 matters, seven were made by um, shareholders. Last year, 12 out of 31. In 2013, 11 out of 20 were by shareholders. So that is quite a marked difference from the first 10 years of the panel's life. So the panel's been around for about 20 years as a revitalised organisation. Uh, the first 10 years, the majority of applicants were bidders, targets, ASIC, in the second half, we've really seen quite a rise in shareholders applying to the panel. Yes. Yeah, well, we should talk about that. I mean, although I just say, before we get into that in detail, it, it seems to me that there's been... You've had a lot of applications this year, uh, and some of them, I think, have been really tea touchwood. They've been pretty minor quibbles, um, and I think that sort of... I think you know the, the the jurisdiction of the panel is is it's 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 a low cost jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. It only costs a couple of thousand dollars to make an application. Two thousand four hundred, yeah. right? Um, and uh, there's usually no cost consequences if someone makes an application Correct. and they lose. Yeah. And I've you know and I and I just wonder if you know maybe that's a good thing that, that people can feel free to come to the panel, but it does drive quite a lot of activity. It does. It, it's. I, it's increasingly I'm seeing it as a bit of a circuit breaker to people getting frustrated about ASIC in various ways. So ASIC, understandably, when someone complains to ASIC and ASIC investigates, it can't tell the complainer to run in commentary about what they're doing. If you apply to the panel, you get a media release that the application's been made and you'll get 
another applic- another media release about the decision and reasons, even if the panel throws the matter out. So you instantly got transparency in a way that you don't get by complaining to ASIC. And that's not criticism ASIC, it's just the nature of complaining to a regulator versus applying to us. So we see a number of matters where people are going to ASIC to complain, getting frustrated, then coming to us. Uh, a number of those matters, ASIC then comes back and sexually shows that they've done some investigatory work. And I mean, a classic example was the affinity matter a couple of years ago. Uh, and But other matters, um, sometimes they are at the, at, the, at the sort of margins of our jurisdiction. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, I, I've found that clients, you know, they really want some action and, the, and to, to go to the panel and get a response and have your matter heard and get, a, get it dealt with fairly uh, is, is a great thing mm. uh, uh, compared to other venues. Like going to court used to be great, except it was very expensive. Mm. It took a quite a long time, got bogged down in, in uh, procedural steps. Mm. Um, the, so the panel's been, it been sort of a, a bit of a circuit breaker, you mm. know, provided a lot of relief for, for people involved mm. in situations, which can be quite high pressure. Yes. And um, and you know and, and at this maybe at this for smaller uh, disputes and maybe in shareholder applicants there's quite a, there can be some emotion involved. Oh yes, in it, and uh, and and so so you know I, I think having having this facility here is is an enhancement for our market. So so in just let's just talk about the shareholder ap- applicants you've had recently. What sort of matters have they been bringing? Uh, mostly. Association or leading up to board spills uh, are the predominant ones. Sometimes in relation to bids, there's been a couple of applications in relation to bids, particularly where you have uh, a majority shareholder making a bid. Um, there was a classic uh, case with Strategic Minerals last year where a, a quite a small shareholder had very little legal training. She was an engineer, I think, originally, made quite a good application, raising some quite significant issues about a bid made by a majority shareholder. Is that right? So, so it, sometimes people start think, oh, well, shareholder applicants, they're not going to be all that successful for the panel. It's actually, they're just as successful in getting declarations as any other applicant. Uh, it's less likely that the panel with a shareholder applicant will conduct and not find anything. So there's quite a lot of decline to conducts because shareholder doesn't meet the mark. But once the panel actually conducts on a shareholder application, there's actually quite a high percentage that it will go to an outcome of some description. Is that right? Mm. Now, can I ask you, often when you have, in courts, when you have a private person appearing and running a matter themselves, they get a lot of assistance from the bench, Mm -hmm. so it seems. Judges try to help them out. Mm -hmm. How does a panel go with that dynamic? Are they on their own or do you...? Help them? Uh, well, there is a bit of a dynamic there. We help them to a, to a limited extent. Um, sometimes, whether it's a shareholder applicant or even a, a firm of solicitors coming to us, we will the executive will talk to them about what possible issues they could raise, how best to put an, put an application in. We we try to. We try to help in the sense that the more we help people at the start of the process, <laughs> the easier it is yeah. for us during the process, to be yeah. honest. And that's the same for shareholder applicants as, as anybody else, to be honest. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of, lot of sense. So in the, I've noticed that, that there's been a spate of 
applications concerning board spills. Mm. Um, and the panel has, uh, it seems to me, the panel has dealt with them um, in a very appropriate way, I might say. Um, you know, I was very concerned that the that there'd be a very um, very technical approach to associations mm. and the twenty percent rule and mm. and mm. you know breach of substantial holder provisions and that might lead to that might um, you know lead to shareholders being concerned about speaking to one another, mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem to have been the case. No, I think it's important to note that. The reason why the panel was revitalised was to stop tactical litigation in, in bids. So it would seem very, very odd for the panel to be promoting tactical disputes in board disputes because, in a sense, board disputes are very similar to bids economically. They keep boards accountable. And so I think it's important for the, the panel to take a fairly commercial and pragmatic approach to those to those sort of board disputes. And the London, both the London panel and ASIC have provided some guidance on that issue. And I think it's I think it's important if shareholders are concerned about the management of a company, they should be able to get together to promote change. Now that's always a difficult issue for for all takeovers regulators because of course one way in which people can get around the takeover provisions is to gang up and change the board and then do all sorts of other things at the end. And that's just getting around the whole nature of the takeover provisions. But if you're at the other end of the spectrum, if a whole lot of shareholders are wanting to get together to change the board, to put in independent directors, to deal with a corporate governance issue, I'm not sure that the panel should be involved in that. Yeah, I agree with that. And and, and as, as, as I was saying... I think that the examples you've had have shown uh, a very sensible commercial position on that, and the panel's done a very good job. Um, and I think that as a result of that, I think you'll see fewer applications coming to you because you've really now set out some, some very clear guidance. Yeah, so in Aguia, which is a matter that was before us, we tried to set out a number of sort of steps and issues, trying to draw together quite a lot of our learning on that because there's a bit of it's been a bit of history around these sort of disputes i think the panel initially had a very strong and, and appropriate reaction at the start which is these are board disputes we don't want to get involved at all it is fair to say that as i was saying to you before the behind these you could have examples of people clubbing together to change the board to actually effectively take over the company and so we do have to be alive to those issues and we have to be alive to uh, issues where people clubbing together could actually have some impact on the control of the company. So that might involve substantial shareholder issues or 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 other or other issues yes. as well. I don't but correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've seen a matter where the panel has found that's been the case and ordered divestment of shares or stopped a board spill proceeding. Uh, that's that's right. I think there've been a couple of occasions where shareholders have uh, are clearly associated trying to get control of the company. They've bought shares, and board spills have been a part of that historically. And through those acquisitions, we have actually vested shares. Uh, Sovereign Gold would be an right. example of that, which happens to be a shareholder um, application. 
Um, so there have been those those examples, and they're, they're, and that's what I say. That's at the that's at one end of the spectrum, I guess, where it's very clear that a, a group of people are getting together and they've got a very set agenda to take control, and this is part of that agenda, going together to buy shares. It's a very there are some very tricky legal issues if you, no matter what people's intentions are, if you have two people getting together and then not making an acquisition, um, that, that then leads to quite technical issues, which you're well aware of. Yes, it is tricky. Mm. Um, now, can I ask you something else? Just before we turn on the microphones, you were telling me about the media canvassing rules and yeah. how it might be abused. Why don't you just go over sure. that? I think that's really interesting. Sure. So... Historically, back when the panel was revitalised, it was decided to have a, this rule that parties shouldn't canvass with the media because in takeover bids it was felt that bids and targets will entrench their views if they go to the media and they'll be less likely to settle. So we had this media canvassing rule and that's now sort of translated into requiring when people put in notice of appearance to actually undertake not to canvass matters before the media. Now, over time, we've started to think, well, in the dynamic of board disputes, we're concerned that applicants might actually be applying to the panel. One of their strategic reasons might be to actually muzzle the other side through the media canvassing model. Right. So we are thinking through, our, through a review of our, uh, our procedural rules, revisiting media canvassing generally, but in particular in relation to board disputes. Right. So so if you were concerned about that, presumably that would be the other side to the dispute would be saying, look, they're doing this partly to muzzle us, and then I presume that on a case-by-case basis you could you could relieve that person of their of their obligations. We haven't done so we haven't done so as yet, but it's worth it's worth considering, I think. Yeah. Um, depending upon the circumstances. Yeah. Now that we don't actually get that many complaints about it. We just get a sense that that might be part of the dynamic yeah. in matters. Yeah. The media canvassing rule, I mean, it used to be there was no such rule. And, and you know, when, when we had uh, lots of hostile takeovers, uh, and there, there was always a dispute about the bidder statement or the party statement or whatever it was, and there'd be or the tactics and there'd be huge co- numbers of column inches taken up in the newspapers mm. with journalists writing about the dispute and what's happening and what's going to go on and what the court might say and all of that, um, which I, you know, and I was often called by journalists saying, oh, what's your view on this and what's what's the law and what's all this sort of stuff. I personally didn't, did, I found it, you know, it was... It was useful for the market, I thought, to know what was happening in, in a, any given dispute. And I think the market was maybe more sophisticated than people thought at the time. But I was happy to go along with the media canvassing rule, as long as it applied to everyone. Um, but, yeah, maybe it is time to revisit that, you know, because I think the, I think the nature of takeover practice has changed quite a lot. Mm. And there's no longer the major big uh, takeover bids that will get the column inches. Mm. And so if you have a small takeover bid with a dispute, I'm not sure there's going to be too much media about it. Yeah, I, I look, I, I don't have a strong view, to be honest, and I've said that publicly on a number of occasions. In 2015, when we went to stakeholders, uh, over 70% thought that the media canvassing rule should continue. Yeah. Um, certainly, 
I'd be, if that turned into only 30%, 70% wanted it gone, I think we would be seriously considering the matter. Yeah. And we are going to, I think we do need to consider it more generally, particularly, as I said, in relation to these board dispute matters. Yes, yes, good. Okay. And speaking about reviewing policies, I know you've, in the last, I don't know how many years, maybe five or six years, maybe longer. Maybe longer, yes. Yeah, you've been going through and reviewing all of the guidance notes but I think there's one you haven't yet got to, isn't there? Yes, and that's inside of participation, Guides Note 19, and I, we've had a number of matters that have touched on that recently, so I think we'll be reviewing that. Yes. Um, it, it reads very much like an almost like an industry code rather than a guidance note, But and it, back five or six years ago, I'm thinking, well, what's really the use of this guidance note other than some sort of industry code? But now we've discovered that there does actually, does actually bite occasionally, and there have been unacceptable circumstances found where it's very clear that insiders haven't really been following the right sort of protocols. Yes. So I think I think it is worth now a, a, a thorough review. It, it originally was designed in relation to private equity bids, but insider bids don't just have to be um, yes. private equity. They can be majority shareholders, they can be investment managers, it can be all sorts of different sorts of potential insiders and i think it's worth a worth a review yes i agree with you and and you know when i last read it it just seemed to me it was really old (laughs) written from a different era with different issues in mind yes yeah Uh, and the style of it's different from the other ones so yeah so i think that'd be that'd be well worth doing reviewing that and sometimes when we review our guidance notes we cut down the pages quite a lot but then i think we found this um with uh, frustrating action, for example, we cut it down quite a bit, and then it then exposed the new issues, and then we've added a little bit back in again. So it's quite interesting the dynamic of you know cutting material that's no longer relevant, and then it actually then exposes new issues to sort of deal with. Yes, good. Well, that's very worthwhile. Then um, now I think we're almost out of time for our listeners, but I want to ask you two little questions mm-hmm. now um, about your job. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell me? What are the things about your job that you like? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... <laughs> pause. <laughs> pause on that, <laughs> <laughs> The things I, I... I thought you were going to get to the next question. Um, the things I really enjoy about my job, it's, it's, it's variety, it's intellectually stimulating. Uh, the team is a really, really good team. We get secondees coming in from law firms such as Smith Three Hills, and uh, that brings new blood and new vitality into the team, and it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of fun almost all of the time. Yeah, good, good. And, and okay, so the other question then is, is there anything about your job that you do not like? Well, the thing I don't like about my job is uh, when applicants or parties write applications or submissions that are difficult to understand, very confusing, um, and I want to do the best for them or, or put present their best foot forward, but if I find it actually quite under, hard to understand what they're even saying. <laughs> um, I struggle. I struggle with that. So that that's that's and that's a difficult and it also adds the risk. I feel it sort of adds the risk for the panel reputationally as well. Like and I remember one case, for example, the applica- application was so dense and so difficult when we tried to write what it was even about in the media release to announce the matter, somebody rang me and said, 
I don't even understand what on earth you're talking about, Alan. <laughs> and I was like, well, you should read the application. <laughs> and it actually took us the entire proceedings to actually understand. In fact, it was a matter that you sat on, as it turned oh, out. It? Oh, right? I, was, I, was, I was going to ask whether it had come from Herbert Smith Freedom. No, no, it was a matter you sat on as a panel member. <laughs> and it was just very, very difficult. And that's, where I, that's what I find particularly stressful about the job. Um, because then people will say, well, but you didn't understand. And I go, well, you didn't communicate. Yes. But you can't really say that, of course. Yes. So yes. I can say it globally here, but I can't really say it in particular matters. No. Well, hopefully lots of people listen to this, these words of wisdom in this <laughs> podcast and, uh, and they'll, they'll focus on, on making sure... Nice short and... I mean, one of your most recent submissions, right, in fact, was a classic example of very good short and punchy submission that actually hit the, hit the nail on the head. So there you go. Good so. on you. Oh, thanks. Well, on that very high <laughs> note, why don't, we, why don't we call it quits then? Thanks very much, Alan, for coming in to do this. It's, uh, it's been a great um, treat for us to, to hear your words. No worries. Good on you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Good night. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.